to the glory in our stories. On this episode, we'll be speaking with Gilliard and company. Good afternoon and good evening. This is The Glory in Our Stories. This is episode 37. Uh, today, I am had the fine privilege of meeting up with an awesome couple that I met a couple of months ago, uh, Maurice and Whitney Gilliard. Did I say it right? Yes. Yep. And um, I usually, at the beginning of the podcast, always give a brief history of how I met them. Um, I first saw them actually on Facebook. Um, promoting their organization, which we'll get into shortly. Uh, but the one thing that I always admire about someone dedicating their time to a cause is the passion and the desire to uh, make sure that they go at it full-hearted. And I was able to see that and witness that. And that really intrigued me. And um, given that my mom speaks of being an orphan quite often because uh, her, her mom... When both parents died, it was like 10 or 11 kids, so they had to be split up across the United States. And one of her sisters she hadn't seen for over a decade up until that point, um, once they got older. And um, the situations they were put in, it was a, a sense of uncertainty. Like, what's that next step from here? Like, how's my life gonna turn out? Absolutely. Like, the source of who I am is gone. And either gone or just out of the picture, so how do I handle that? Uh, the psychological process that involves that can be very detrimental, especially when you are you are an adult and then eventually you have kids because that's a part of your history that you have to pass on. But if you don't know what it is, it's going to become a void for the next generation. Surely. Uh, but I see that you both are trying to make sure that that process is comfortable, uh, that it's helpful, and that it's not completely detrimental to the point that the person doesn't gain a great sense of who they are. And I've heard a little bits and pieces of you all's story last time that we spoke, but I wanted to take the opportunity to get to know who you are, more about your organization and the direction that you both plan on heading. Um, so uh, if you both could go ahead and introduce yourselves. Surely, um, I guess I'll start. Um, first and foremost, thank you for having us here. Um, you know, when we met uh, a couple months ago, it was an awesome experience uh, for the reason that we met, obviously being the dinner and all that and supporting our cause um, and supporting the, the cause of foster care awareness as a whole and adoption as a whole and so forth. But uh, meeting people at events is definitely something that's a byproduct, but probably the most rewarding thing. Um, meeting people, listening to people's different walks of life, and then kind of connecting with everyone is, is something that I enjoy. And I'm sure Whitney will say the same thing. So I just want to say thank you for having us here. Um, thank you for the time and all that. So, um, but a little bit about me. So it's interesting that you said that your mother, you said uh, had 10 to 11 siblings. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we're not cut, or excuse me, we're not a, we're kind of cut from the same cloth a little bit because my mother as well is one of 12. Wow. As well. Um, and that's kind of, the starting point for me because my mother grew up in foster care as well. Um, so my mother, not necessarily orphaned, um, but uh, her parents weren't as active. 
um, which then resulted in foster care for all of her and her siblings. Um, and then my father came into the picture too, but uh, my mother's from Germany, actually, so she experienced the system in Germany, which is a lot different than uh, what's going on in the U.S., but uh, to hear that we're kind of relatable in that aspect is something that's unique as well. So um, I was born in Germany. Uh, my father was in the United States Army. Um, he retired uh, in Kentucky with my family, so my parents were in my life the whole time, my, my whole time, um, and still are currently. They're still married, uh, going on, oh goodness, don't get me to lie, 31, 32 years at this <laughs> point. Um, so they're doing they're doing really well, but uh, my passion and my drive definitely stems from marrying my wife, which she'll explain uh, her upbringing, and then obviously understanding what my mother has went through as well. Um, I'm not necessarily a product of foster care, but I'm definitely a product, a byproduct of someone who was, who went through foster care. And I grew up um, experiencing things with her and experiencing things in life and then experiencing things with my wife and just seeing um, from two different uh, ends of the spectrum here. And then kind of, that kind of uh, focused my passion and, and, and definitely heightened my sensitivity to the topic. So um, I was, in, I'm in the military, excuse me, getting ready to transition out. I fly currently for for the military, um, which is awesome, but it's really not as rewarding as what we're doing right now. So what we're doing right now is definitely definitely awesome. Um, we've been married for a couple of years, going on three years now. Uh, we've got our yeah. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, yes, three years. Feels we've like known we've each been other married for, for a decade. <laughs> so my bad. We've known my each bad. other for five years. Been married for three. We have an awesome son. Um, he's three turning four next month actually so he's here with us yeah he's here with us too but, um, <laughs> when's his birthday 15 September oh, so cool. yeah, yeah we're going to Disneyland so oh, nice. yeah it's super super cool so um, but that's me in a nutshell and of course we'll, we'll discuss some more so cool that's awesome Murray's always so eloquent when he's like explaining things <laughs> and I'm like um I'm I like I'm, I'm okay but yeah it's uh so my background is a little different. Um, I, I am a minority, obviously, I'm an Asian American, and that comes into a large role uh, with me being in foster care. Like, I've been in foster care when I was 14 to 21. I'm 24 now. Um, I grew up in a household that I, I would say tried really hard to do the best that they could for children. I somehow just fallen into the hands of somebody that was around us that was very uh, that did not so nice things uh, yeah. that was not so good so but it, but that's how I ended up in the foster care system I ended up running away and so when I did run away um, I got arrested and I ended up sitting in juvenile detention while waiting for a court hearing to know what was going to happen to me wow. it, yeah so when that was going on you know the Asian family was more so like what is happening <laughs> like what is going on um and that, that, that in itself was very nerve-wracking, a culture shock. It was, now as an adult looking back, I understood what people meant about being re-traumatized when you go into the system. Because that whole experience in itself is totally different. You know, instead of eating Asian food every day, you're eating like American like food, like institutional food at the, like, oh at the least too. Um, but in that, I, I, I was in the system. I've been around 18 placements. All the 18 placements I've been to in my short time in foster care was you know, group homes, residential facilities, juvenile detention again, whenever I got back into trouble. Um, sometimes it did require me to wait in offices and um, Department of Family Services yeah. while, you know, seeing what's happening to me, where am I gonna go live next day. Um, 
the length of my placements when I was in foster care was usually about six months. So I would sit in a group home, not a group home, I was in a residential facility where I would ask staff to open a door so I can use the bathroom, if I had to take medication, if I refused to take my meds, if it made me feel ill, I fell into a 72-hour room confinement. Like, that was how I grew up. Um, and I, the only reason why I'm not sane, uh, I'm sorry, while I'm not insane, completely insane, I'm partially insane, <laughs> not all the way, um, is, is truly because of God, you know, yeah. just finding faith while I was in foster care. Um, but yeah, I was, I was in foster care in, in D.C. area as well, so it's my stomping ground, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, what else did I forget to mention? I was listening to Marie, so I was like, yeah, such great platform <laughs> and everything. And But my, um, I, I got taken in by a really wonderful couple when I was 17, so they came in at the nick of time. To, to make sure that I had a successful outcome when I was in foster care. Mm-hmm. And they picked me up as a hot mess. Like, I wish I had pictures, but I'm really glad I didn't have a lot of pictures. <laughs> um, but they, they took me into their home when I was about 17 years old. I ended up graduating high school. And when I did, I was the first in my family ever to graduate high school. Um, and then I, they, and from there figured out, you know, what are some ways of success for me? And that was going into community college, you know. Um, and from there, I met Maurice, and I. But I also was uh, introduced to a mentor in foster care too. Her name is Esther, and yeah. that was really awesome. But we started doing this this thing together, <laughs> this thing that led us to do many other things <laughs> that we'll talk about. That's uh, it's funny hearing people mention mentorship. I didn't, I didn't really have that outside of my mom, so. I'm starting to understand just how really important it is because it can shape shape a child's life. Yeah. Um, having that outside perspective, other than the person that raised, you, always helps because you know, sometimes your parent only knows how to be a parent. It can be anything else. So having that mentorship really helps. Um, going back to something you said, and it it bothered me because I've heard it from this. I think it was. I think he's a priest. Very eloquent and. Judging how you see him now, you would have never thought that he went through what he went through. It's this thing called, um, I forgot what it's called, but it's a pro- its a procedure that they did to specifically kill a baby that's still in the womb. And it actually involved a hanger. I don't know. The way he describes it is very deadly. But he survived it. And he ended up being given away from his parents. And he ended up being a part of this family. And I think the woman had a friend or a woman that stayed there that was a sadist. And she hated men. So since he was in the house, she would do certain things to him out of hatred for men. Things that you not a lot of people can come back from. And it was there was a three minute video. I was cringing in my seat just for him describing it. I'm cringing now. Uh, but what was beautiful was that I'm like, how in the world can you come from that yeah. to at this point in your life? You would have never thought that he went through that. But he explained that somebody gave him a Gideon Bible. And he said he just started learning and reciting. And it was through that, through his introduction to God, that he got to where he was. And he said he used to be a stutterer. And he just he's just speaking so fluently. And I'm like, how do you go through that transition? And But at some point, obviously, you went somewhere here and say, I'm not going to allow that to overcome me. And it's, to me, that's, that's very beautiful, but mind-boggling 
and complex, but you never really know unless you actually walk that person's shoes. So you, and it's funny you talk about going through these detention centers and thinking about, you know, what, what Trump is trying, what he's been trying to do and then create the separation between the family and the child and how devastating that really is and seeing somebody actually go through that process and come out the other side. That's very rewarding. And um, it's just nice to hear that from someone who actually made it through and to have such a positive attitude. Absolutely. Man, I used to, that's crazy. My, uh, my wife didn't say it in the introduction, but she always references um, children that come from foster care to be uh, superheroes in society. Yeah. So what you're painting <laughs> by what you're saying um, is almost something that's supernatural, something that's not supposed to happen, something yeah. that isn't common. Um, and my wife calls that heroism a superhero talent or I ability. I say for children who went through adverse experience in, in life and children who's been through foster system, I love superheroes. Like, clearly, like yeah. you know that, right? <laughs> look, but um, I, they are the Avengers amongst us because mm -hmm. I feel like, just like the Avengers, just like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, they're considered freaks of nature. Like, you yeah. know, they're just, they're, they possess the superpower and yeah it's really cool but how much can you really help but yet they don't stop and they travel to earth specifically to help the very people that neglected them that mm -hmm. pushed them away and still they're here to save you yeah you we, uh, we we definitely promote the stories of people and that's yeah. one thing that we take pride in with our company um, which is a soft line to tread because there's a lot of emotional thought behind that as well um, and a lot of emotional feelings and, and so forth, but the people that we have interacted with um, are really, really superheroes because you don't know who's amongst you and who's around you and what, they, what their path of life has been and how they've walked, um, but when you stop for a moment and you get to know, like we have and we've talked to them, or talked to people in general who have walked a troubling path, um, and then to see them in front of you and I and they're super successful and super yeah. calm and super wise and able to mentor others um, that's awesome and we promote that we've got a few people that we've worked with who come who have come out um, on our social media or on our website and put a story out there and that within itself um, is something we definitely promote and it's, it's awesome to hear a year or two ago when I used to share stories like when I got asked to speak and stuff I look back at those videos now and I, I told my husband the other day I was my hands were shaking I was holding a water bottle my hands were shaking and, and I was you know, I saw that as, you know, you know what that is? That's, that's, when, that's sacrificing a part of yourself to reshare a story. And yeah. I mentioned to him, I was like, for everyone who's sharing their stories within our, you know, NPO, within our social media, we need to hold them. We need to check up on them. We need to praise them for them being brave because that's exactly what they're doing. Because yeah. having it been on the other end doing it, it's not easy, you know. Hearing a mom talk about her past, she there's certain things that she went through not just when she was young but through um, as an adulthood. She, she's able to laugh at it, and sometimes like, <laughs> you're like, that's not what funny. Are you <laughs> and she, she stops and she says, "No, it's not funny." But God has delivered her far enough to say, "Hey, yes. she can do that." And um, that's hilarious, man. Yeah, and I, and I know I don't, you know. We are cut from the same cloth because my mother does the same thing. My mother and father were visiting us about a week ago, um, and of course, this is now I'm I'm 30, so this is decades later. Mm -hmm. um, but my mother is 
is European, so she's Caucasian, and my father's African American from Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. They went through the interracial uh, time in society where it was very, very frowned upon, which, you know, it's it's less frowned upon now, but during the time that they were together, it was a heightened sensitivity. Um, my mother used to experience direct racism from her siblings wow. um, being pregnant with me. Um, and we could, you know, not to get in too muddy in the water, but, you know, some direct uh, violent things to ensure that I wasn't going to be here today. Um, so to fast forward now to last week, my mother's able to be kind of jovial about it as we all talk about this because... <laughs> Uh, you know, it's more, it's more like a, an older woman, like, you know what, if I know what I know now, I would have did X, Y, and Z, you know, but um, she sits here and she says, because she sees her son alive mm -hmm. and she sees her son trying to make a difference and she sees her son married with a son. Yeah. Um, so now I think things that were sensitive then, that were traumatizing then, it's, it shows progressiveness and overcoming to now to be able to look back and say, I've overcome those moments in life now, because mm -hmm. I see that that wasn't for nothing. It was God's will and God's plan for me to see, for my mother, for me to be looking at my mother, for my mother to be looking at me, and we're all sitting at a table in our home, feeding mm -hmm. them and breaking bread and having a family time. Um, that's why she's able to show that overcoming, so. It's always funny, because like, we live in a really nice, like friendly neighborhood, and um, mm -hmm. whenever we get together, they're like family to us. Our neighbors are like our family, and whenever we're sitting there, and they're talking about movies, Maurice loves talking about throwback movies. They're like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? And then they look at me, and I was like, no, I haven't seen that. And then they're like, are you serious? I'm like, I don't know. Depressed, you know, suppressed childhood here. I don't know what part of that y'all don't understand, but no, never been sitting with there. Maurice is like twitching in his eye. He goes, that's not funny, and I'm like, very funny like there's there's that that you don't ever talk about with a former foster youth and you don't you don't ever play the game have i ever like <laughs> we don't do those things oh wow well. yeah. <laughs> goodness um it's funny that you because even now there's certain things in my past i i can't laugh at yet but it's um it's things that i take seriously and i said but i wouldn't take it back for anything in the world because if that wouldn't have happened i wouldn't be who i am absolutely and Though it was it was a necessary um, problem, uh, it was a pruning process, unfortunate pruning process yeah. that had to take place, and you have to ask yourself why, why did this have to happen? And um, and I'm certain there are a lot of kids that are in this system saying why, why does this have to happen to me, Indeed. of all people? And um, I think you're able to figure out that question when you get older, that answer, because if you look in hindsight, well, oh, now this makes sense. Um, going back to the superhero aspect, one thing that I thought was really cool that y'all touched base on, uh, there's this movie called, um, it's an animated movie, it's Justice League, and it's like the first frontier, I think. And it's basically, it's a modern movie, but it has like the 1950s um, artwork. Mm -hmm. There's a part where a Martian Manhunter comes to Earth, He's just green, he has his elongated head. And they're like gassing him, putting him in a chamber. And they were like, why y'all doing it? Superman came up and he said, why y'all doing that to him? He said, he's an alien. He said, so am I. And it's based off how you look at people and you look at their situations and you automatically exclude them. But there's a similarity in that. And just because it doesn't look the way you think it should be, doesn't mean that it has no connection with you. And a lot, I'm certain a lot of kids in the situation think that 
um, they probably don't have a connection with someone who did grow up with the family. And you do. It's just that your life took a different path. And but and I was just thinking about like, but <laughs> what happened to Batman? Like Bruce Banner, like that. Not Bruce Banner, Bruce Wayne. Uh, that is for that to happen. Like that was very dark. But he had to think of a way. Now, how can I use this darkness to shed light in Gotham? And he used that, and it's very and it's very traumatizing. And it's just even now, it's just really amazing. Like you said, for somebody to go through that, it takes a, it takes a lot of strength, a lot of inner strength. And with that, you shed light on other aspects of your life. You, your your senses are heightened, and you find yourself able to do things that probably a lot of people couldn't do. And because um, I was talking to somebody, and they said, you know, a lot of us had a, a different lifestyle. We had a different childhood. No, we didn't have any trauma. I didn't like. I was interviewing somebody. They said we had a good childhood, and she said, well, I realized you don't have to go through something traumatizing in order to get to a certain point. And that is true. That is true. But there's just something special about somebody that literally goes through the wire, all the cuts and the bruises. And uh, you mentioned about the aspect of shaking, um, doing that. I know that's not the easiest thing to do, but um, I learned this from Will Smith, actually. He said, bravery is in the absence of fear. It's going despite, going through a despite, bite all. And you may be afraid, you may be scared, but you're actually doing it. And through that freedom, you give other people freedom to do the same. It's funny you mentioned Will Smith, because when you're talking about um, just people who've undergone a lot of pain, a lot of agony in life, you know, like, how are they able to shed so much light onto others and something special about it? I was thinking about Will Smith's quote about the, and our relations with people who haven't gone through that. It's like, mm -hmm. what he, he said, it's not verbatim, but he said that, you know, having that kind of trade is not something that's esoteric and that only happens to the specials amongst us. You know, yeah. it is something that if you dive really deep into you, it's like a little girl who um, wrote to Obama one year and says, you'd be surprised what you can do when you have to. Yeah. You know? Wow same thing when you what you can do when you have to um, I was telling Maurice today the reason why we're here is to bring awareness of the fact that as we are sitting you know in this lovely um, location we're having coffee and everything it's there's a child that woke up wondering in, in a jail cell where they're gonna be and why did this happen to them a child that's waiting in there who's a victim of sexual assault and abuse um, yeah. there is somebody who woke up in a group home today for the very first time wondering should I get out this door and greet these other peers of mine somebody who took psychiatric pills for the first time today and will have a really rough day somebody got pinned down in a residential facility and I say that to say that this is a very realistic thing that's happening to a lot of young children around us every morning, every day, because that's what happened to me, you know? Um, so we just, that's why we're here, so the community can, can hear about that because it's its this other world. It's like this, this underworld thing that's happening that nobody is talking about and that we all have a connection to it we all know that this is happening. We all know there's orphans in the world. We all know that there's foster children in the world. Now that you know, what are you gonna do? You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Connection is, the term connection I think is is not even deep enough. We all have a responsibility. Yes, um, we do. To kind of discuss this lightly. All of us, we have a child. Um, and the intent for a lot of the, in, the intent for 
things in the world, we're talking either human beings or animals or, or anything, um, is to reproduce, procreate, is to continue the lineage, the generations, to ensure that, that, that family doesn't just end here. We don't just stop here, but my son has a son who has a son who has a son or a daughter. It's biological or non-biological. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. continuing uh, the lineage. So I would almost say that our, and this, this, is, this is a light belief, but our reasons for being here are to obviously procreate, to continue for. Yeah. Um, and if you're not focused on the children in the world, um, then what else are you focused on? Um, you should be focused on the success of, uh, of humanity as time goes on. You should be focused on the progressiveness, the progressiveness of our society. You should be focused on the next generation and their growth. And we can't, ex we can't choose to whom we focus on and whom we exclude um, because that, that results in further complications, further chaos, further uh, uh, division and misalignment of our future generations. You know, like we need to worry about that. So case in point, our, my parents, um, grew up during a time in which, you know, uh, the next door neighbor was almost like a parent, and yeah. the lady down the street was almost like a parent, and you know, and the bus driver knew his mother, my my father's mother. You see what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. it was a very connected society, mm -hmm. and, and and that's where the phrase "it takes a village to raise a child" yeah. came from. I mean, de generations before my father is where that came from, and it, as we go on, we need to under we need to get back to our roots and understand that. All children are are essentially ours. We shouldn't exclude. We shouldn't choose. And that's kind of what we sit here for. When yeah. um, when a child is lost in the middle of a mall, your spontaneous reaction is, "What's going on?" You know, mm -hmm. you get down to the level. You're on your knees. Like, how can I help you? You know. But when a child is lost in the system, nobody's outraged. Yeah. Um, we have yet to have. Uh, uproar about you know a, a, a riot about what's happening to our children in the foster care system. We have children who are entering 12th grade with a fifth grade education level in America. In America, um, there are youth that literally are walking out of foster care, aging out at 18, as if they are leaving a prison. They're given a small amount of um, money, and then. If you have a place to stay, you have a place to stay. If you don't, you don't. Obviously, a lot of our state now has changed the regulations to be able to support this, but it came a long way to where we're able to do this. Um, and one of the things that we hope to do is to bring awareness so that there's some point while we're trying to figure things out, there's preventative maintenance put into place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, uh, that reminds me of, uh, you have seen the, uh, the Rescuers, the Disney movie? You haven't seen it? Not I have yet. seen it. Oh, yeah. I have seen it. I, I like, have you seen it? No, I'm not yet. Oh, man. The like, little, uh, the, the mouse? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're so cute. They, uh, they're, they're, it's like a um, society of them. Like, they yeah. meet. And yeah, and they meet with this, like, jar. <laughs> they, they climb on this little ladder and they try. I can relate. Okay. That's why. Man, but their life, their life goal is to save children. Uh, the first one was. Human children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The first one was, uh, it was an orphan girl. And they wanted, she was small enough to fit into a whale to get a diamond. So a woman adopted her and these two other uh, sleazy guys. Mm -hmm. And it, she thought she was going to a home. And said, so, oh, okay, so they were uh, buttering, on her, buttering her up and said, oh, yeah, well, you, you'll be fine. We just, we just want you to do something for us. And at the bottom of that whale was that diamond. But that's, that's what she was being used for. Yeah. And, um, man. 
going on a different subject, um, but relevant. When uh, I heard a story about human trafficking, where they trafficked their daughter or son to pay for a car, like they co-signed that whole thing so that they can finance it. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of human trafficking that happens solely and primarily towards youth in foster care. Mm -hmm. A lot, like a ridiculous amount is happening to children in foster care. Young girls in the DMV area are spontaneously missing. Nobody's really following up. Like, you know, there's follow-up on that, obviously, for the federal, um, on the state police level and everything. But, you know, there's just a lot of the young girls are missing. A lot of children in foster care are being trafficked, you know. Um, and it's just, it's, it's really unfortunate. It's, it's a really unfortunate situation. Um, but we do know that there's, there's um, different states that are working heavily on ensuring that one of the reasons why children are falling into this kind of situation is because the lack of um, social workers appearing during home visits, a lack of supervision, who really are these people that are patrolling our foster homes, who are patrolling the group homes. Like, we need to do more of that. And I know that um, at least, like you say, for the state of Georgia, we're working tremendously hard in trying to ensure that there's a regulation that um, ensuring social workers report to homes, report to different locations, and is actively writing statements about the well-being of a child, you know? Yeah. Um, so as we sleep, that's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something earlier, and then I'm going to go to this one question I really want to ask you all. Um, when you get to a certain point in your life and you've been through something, some people get up there and don't want to look down anymore. They want to stay there. They're like, oh, that's not me anymore. Um, I've got, I've come so far, I've worked so hard. This is a legacy, this is a plateau that I've built. I worked my butt off. I don't need to give anybody else. Nobody gave me anything. There's no point in me giving back if nobody gave me anything when I was at that same point. Uh, but that says a lot about you both to have have that experience and have that background and say, I want to give back. I want to make sure that nobody ever has to go through what I went through. And that's that's a huge, huge sacrifice um, because you're basically saying, this isn't about me. I wasn't put here for me. I was put here for them because other people are behind you. And if you think about it, with everything, as time progresses, everything gets worse. So that means that when it was hard for you, you can only yes. imagine how it is now Absolutely. and for you all to take this initial step I think it's, it's very important not only are you doing it for you as far as your experience but as a couple and uh, piggybacking on that how did you how did you both meet so <laughs> yeah that's a good one um, just to comment on that that's the difference between achievement and passion yeah. Um, we are not achievement oriented um, or we where we have done something and then we are sitting back on the fruits of our labor and looking down um, we are passionate and passion keeps you consistently involved in the fight or consistently involved in the topic or consistently involved in helping people help people yeah um, passion is the person who will run three miles and then turn back around 
because he ran it the fastest, he'll turn back around another mile to go get the slowest person to help that person run back to the last mile. Yeah. Um, that's what I relate this to, and that's what we are. We definitely don't look at this as, or look at any of this as the achievement. And the entire thing is the achievement, but the passion keeps us going back. So. I think that that's what you have to survive um, on when you work with foster care, because if you're only solely working on achievements, oh, you're gonna find yourself like burnt out, like <laughs> run out. You're gonna be like just on the ground crying. So, so to, to go back to where we met, so we met in, uh, in D.C. Uh, five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned I was in the military. I was a recruiter at the time, um, so the Army put me into D.C. Um, doing a lot of great and wonderful things there, and then we came across each other uh, one day out and about, and then it kind of just spawned from there. Actually, uh, Whitney invited me to a, and this kind of shows the amount of passion my wife has, but she invited me when we first met to a cancer walk. So she's been doing this for, I mean, years, just on different topics. Um, yeah. She actually invited slash solicited me, because uh, like, so, she, she needed like $300 to finish her goal. Um, <laughs> and then you nice. know, I see a beautiful young lady come across my path, so I'm like, okay. Um, Tell you know. me $300, so that's worth a date. She was like, I'm gonna get my goal, and this is gonna make me the top sale, uh, not sale, but the top, top goal in the area, and blah, blah, blah. So, Okay, we'll do that. Um, but to get to the the interesting part, so I agree to that. Cancer Walk is like three weeks later. Um, we continue to, to talk and see each other in kind of infrequent, really not too much, but here and there. Um, but the day of the Cancer Walk, I had to be there at like I don't know six in the morning. Um, oh, I had to yeah, I had to leave my home at six in the morning because it was like an hour away, so I had to be there at seven. Mm. I get there at like 6.45 and I'm excited and ready and I'm calling and calling and calling Whitney um, sitting in this parking garage where the cancer walk is and she's not answering. Uh, so at the, in the moment, I'm like getting upset. Like, okay, she invited me to something. She done stole my $300, <laughs> invited me somewhere and didn't even show up. So I'm calling, calling, calling and uh, probably it took 25 minutes of, of me just being determined now to get someone on the phone. Mm -hmm. um, where uh, when the phone was picked up and I sucked in this large amount of air to get ready to shout obscenities to her, uh, the person on the opposite said, and said, I am uh, an EMS in the back of an ambulance and said, I'm on the way to such and such hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah. Deflated me instantly <laughs> um, and put me back in the position of uh, what my mother used to say, think before you speak. Yeah. Um, so I sat there and she said, "You, I'm not supposed to be talking to you, but... Uh, Whitney was conscious enough to tell me to pick up the phone to tell you where she's going. Mm -hmm. That is really the beginning of our relationship. Uh, Dependability and accountability. Yeah, I don't know if you want to take it from there. So. Yeah, so I ended up getting into this really bad car accident. It was like a six-lane traffic accident. I swung from one side of the highway onto the other. I ended up getting pulled out of me. By then, oh gosh, the car was like... My mother wouldn't show me a picture of the car because she didn't want me to see it. It was so bad. But from Maurice, how Maurice described it, it was like a crushed up paper ball. Oh, wow. And so they had to, I was gassing up, so they had to pull me out of the window. And when they did, they broke my leg um, in doing so. And so that, that plays a part in my recovery process. But I broke my back, um, my T12 and L1, like smacked in the middle of the lumbar. And so I had to go through a lot of... Um, therapy I had to go through surgery uh, for surgical rods in my back um, and I had to learn essentially learn to walk again because 
I was in a, um, in bed rest for so long and I had a broken leg and a cast and it wasn't, they were like, how are we supposed to help you if you can't, <laughs> if you got a broken leg and a broken back, it's like, yeah. you know, but um, it was, it was really scary time in my life because I remember um, when I was in the hospital, I told Marisa, like, I can't feel my legs. You know, and what the doctor was telling you some stuff about, like, before surgery. Absolutely. So, after I was navigating looking for this hospital, I went to three of the wrong, three hospitals that were wrong, because every hospital in the D.C. area had the same name, mm -hmm. Nova, such and such. Yeah. Um, so, when I get to the final hospital, that's correct, uh, I go into the emergency room, they tell me where she's at, and I walk down there, and she's fully conscious at the time, actually, when I walk in, <laughs> so like I thought this, and thought this was no big deal. Um, I walk and I'm like, okay, you just, you know, whatever, something small happened. Man, talking about a first impression. That was pretty intense. So, uh, man. But uh, the cool thing about this is that this was a awesome, it was a fortunate, unfortunate um, situation where it was an introduction to their relationship. And if they could get through this, they can get through anything else. So what they're deciding to do as far as being an advocate um, for uh, good foster care, um, I can only imagine what's going to become of it in the future. But continue to listen uh, on this is episode 37 of The Glory in Our Stories featuring Gilliard and Company. Very, very interesting story. Continue to check it out. Um, she's conscious, we're talking. The doctor pulls me outside and says, hey, um, I'm assuming your family or something to the effect of so I'll go ahead and let you know that she is alert now, but she's in shock. Um, and that's when the doctor told me she had a broken leg and a, a broken part of her spine. And, and she's gonna feel this soon. Um, uh, do you know where her parents are? Or can you contact her parents? Um, at, the, at that point, um, her parents for all intents and purposes uh, mm -hmm. end up showing up and it's actually kind of funny because when her parents show up they see me there and they had not met me at all because we'd only been speaking for a couple weeks um, mm -hmm. and they look at me and they say respectfully you know who are you <laughs> <laughs> and at that moment um, I mean I couldn't make this up at this moment at that moment in my mind I had to internalize okay Maurice either you're the guy that just happened to be talking to this girl um, or you're the boyfriend you know yeah. kind of deal like are you going to walk out these doors and not look back or are you going to sit here and and, <laughs> and be a real man about you know the situation because something traumatic just happened in her life and who who are you and what's your character like at that moment mm -hmm. you know god put that on me what is your character right now um so i said i'm her boyfriend um I and like, i'm really? glad and i'm glad to meet and she's fully oh, for 300 dollars yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like and then that's, they, you know, they're very nice. Uh, Bill and Rosemary, awesome, awesome. People. They're model, model people. Um, so then we kind of go from there. And then over the next few months, I'm, I'm pushing around in a wheelchair. She has a back brace on, all that stuff. And we really connect. And that's where I want to say, uh, that's where G and Co, the yeah. original G and Co name was formed. About to get a little raunchy. Like, yeah. talk about when you meet your date, you know, and this love of your life you want to be all dolled up you want to look really nice but here i am sitting yeah. with a catheter and like you know yep. just what is it the oxygen mask and everything and i lost so much weight it was, it was and i was not i was not pretty 
to really kind of smell good. So I was like all humility, like you were just at your most humblest point in life. And I remember sitting there and I told him, I was like, you don't have to be with me. You don't have to be here. Like I felt like a charity. I was like, you don't have to do this. And he was like, I'm going to be here. I'd be here all the time and he used to come in his uniform and he used to be so tired just fanning me because the medications made me so high and I had so many infections it was just so bad and he would just fan me and he'd pass out and I remember one day saying this is like a it's like Gilliard and Company like a Oliver and Company is Gilliard and Company <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of uh, that's how it started on our first anniversary I gave her a card and this kind of ends it but I gave her a card and the what I wrote in the card was a uh, it was by accident we met, but it was no accident that we met. And that mm. kind of birthed us from there. Wow. Yeah, man. So, that's pretty cool. We yeah. want that same companionship that, like, that... Yeah. This is from a car accident, you know? Like, what, what happens when our whole world starts believing that when a child in foster care goes through such turbulence in their life that you don't give up? Mm -hmm. You are there. You're fanning them along the way. You're caring for them along the way. When they're at the most lowest point in their life where they don't feel like a human being anymore, what happens when you just don't leave? Mm -hmm. You know? And we want to model that for everyone. Just just don't leave. Just stay. Because yeah. that's what they need is for you to stay. Mm -hmm. So. They, um, funny you said that was actually my next question is how that, I, how that was created. Yeah. The leading company. Um, but, at, but I guess I'll say this. At what point did you all sit and decide, like, yo, this is the direction that we're going to head. This is what we want to do. This is what we want to accomplish. And this is how we want to gain more awareness. How did that come about? I think it was more, one, I always believed. So there's this thing where, like, every time, I always get asked, like, you know, so why should I care about foster care? Like, we know why you care about it because you've been affected by it. Yeah. We know why Maurice cares about it because his mother was in it and I was in foster care. So, but, but why should I care? And I always have this firm belief that if you are not helping a life, you are truly hurting a life. There is no other option. If you're not actively helping somebody, you are hurting them and by not doing anything. Um, and so we want to spread awareness in the sense of like we want the whole community to start talking about foster care like nobody really talks about it uh, only the people who are involved in the foster care world obviously feels like oh everyone's chatting about it there's mix and mingles but no there's really not a lot of it going on in, in contrast to everything else and other every other topic you know mm -hmm. so we want to spread light on that we wanted to bring community awareness we have um, a, we, we're, we're, I would like to say we're a little bold in getting people to, uh, a, little. to a little, you know, with our hashtag F with us, meaning foster with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, we want the world to know a little bit more, but we don't want them to know of just what happens afterwards. Yeah. Um, we want to obviously show what happens when foster care is done right, like like my, when my family stepped in um, mm. and when his dad never left. Um, but we also want to show the real part of foster care. What is happening now? because what's happening now is what's going to matter because some of the youth in care, they don't get to live up to tell what happens afterwards. Because some do take their own life because things get so hard. Um, and that's what we want to spread to the community. We want, to believe, we want everyone to believe in second chances. We want people to believe in reunification of families. I think that's one thing we're talking about like that we don't tap enough into is that reunification with families and mothers and fathers it's very possible. You just have to be the medium in the tunnel for this. Yeah. So. I guess, uh, man, 
because that initially back, I was going to ask you both, and I think you pretty much answered it. What do you say to people who say, why should I care about this? Because because the same thing happens in several other, other cases that's like really killing the community. Most of the stuff is internal. It's not it's not drugs. It's like cuz everything else is psychological. It's things that takes time to heal. These are wounds that are that are still there, but somehow they get reopened. But the concept of being neglected. Saying like nobody cares. Nobody nobody wants to take time for me. And that is one of the that's the biggest sacrifice is actually looking at a child, especially looking at a child that's not yours. Uh, we live in a, a time where uh, infertility is a huge problem. Um, so some people may think, well, I'm never going to be able to raise my own flesh and blood. Uh, but to actually step aside and say, yo, this child needs a home. This child has a future. I want to create that gateway for them to walk through so they can be what they were destined to be. And that's very, very important. And I guess one question I wanted to, uh, have, have you have you met your biological parents? Or? I have, I have. Um, one thing I wanted to, to mention before I answer mm -hmm. that question was, Ray brought up a really good point that our community, majority of people like himself, who's never been in foster care, actually want to help. Yeah. That's the good news, is people want to, mm -hmm. just don't know how. <laughs> and, and that's when we come in. But um, I'll let him talk about that a little bit, but it's, uh, I have met my, my biological dad. I was actually raised um, in my dad drove coach buses for his life. He was a big, he worked really hard to be able to try to prevent me from having an, like a different lifestyle. You know, like I was somebody that came outside of a marriage. I was, my, my dad cheated on his wife. That's how I came into the picture. And so because of that, he wanted to ensure that I didn't have a rough life growing up. But things happen. Things happen. Sometimes people do the best that they can, and life just happens. That's the best I can put it. Um, but there's, uh, I, but when he ended up passing away due to liver cancer, when I was in foster care, I was 17 years old, and I buried my father. And afterwards, I, that's when my biological mother came into the picture, and she, um, I haven't met her, gosh, ever ever never met her and she came in and she actually told my my mom uh, my foster mom who I call mom and dad um, she was like this is my daughter she's 18 you know like I have the right to know her and that was a really hard reunification process there was a lot of I as a person didn't want to be angry at her but then there's also me as a as a child still that's like where were you why are you here you know and I didn't really know how to properly assess the situation and to approach the situation so it ended up I ended up feeling a lot like a puppy dog like I was really cute and like this is great you got to know me and then afterwards it was just things dissipated you know we just didn't really talk afterwards that was it so, uh, but going back to what you just asked because people are going to be curious about this is um, looking at their responsibilities and where they are in life, how can they help with this process and help with you all as an organization? How can they contribute with the um, Gillian company as far as how can they get involved? For Other somebody, people. yeah, for yeah. somebody who doesn't, probably doesn't really understand the ins and outs of how this operates. Yes, um, it's interesting you asked that question because uh, we were speaking about this about a week ago. People are aware that there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, somewhat aware 
but you, not everyone just walks down to the Department of Family and Child Services, knocks on the door and says, how can I be your solution? Yeah. Um, one, it's uncomfortable to go down to that building and be around the environment a little bit because of how sensitive things are there. And two, no one's really just that bold or direct to go and knock on a door and say, let me help. So um, people often think that um, giving back to an organization like us or giving back to this cause uh, is a financial contribution. Um, we would actually say it's less of a financial contribution and more of a service of either giving clothing or giving time. Um, I would actually put time first. Um, how can I help by uh, you know, going to our website, by liking us on Facebook, and then by messaging us and saying, I'd like to give my time. Hashtag give my time. You see what I'm saying? Like um, sharing a story. You know, We met with Department of Family and Child Services down in Savannah a week ago. We had a conversation with the director down there, um, and they were more so telling us that their need is people that'll come in and spend time with the kids because they don't have enough people on staff to do that. Someone that'll come in and read a book with a child. Someone that'll come in and uh, build Legos with kids or whatever it may be. Allow a child to feel like a child. Um, That is worth more than a dollar is worth in this type of field. Now obviously we all have needs of sustainability. I mean I agree with that. So donations and contributions are surely the the underlying support of how we continue to do what we do, but along with that contribution that you give to uh, Gilliard and Company in a monetary form, we ask that you then offer your time. Mm-hmm. And we will find something, um, or we will connect with agencies in your city or wherever it may be to use your time. Um, we offered that we can be a conduit between the Dep- Department of Family and Child Services and the community in Savannah in particular. So we have a network of friends who want to who ask the same question, how do I help? And then we go to Department of Family and Child Services and ask the same question, how can we help? And then they tell us, well, come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday and read books. And then we relay that message to the community. And now we've got community effort coming in Monday, Wednesday, Friday, let's say, to give their time. Because people do want to help. Like, that's what we found out, that even though our community don't know, process of organizing. people want to help. And yeah. we, we want to do that. And, and I think above all else is we want other people to know, our community to know that if you are hesitant about being a foster parent, like consider being a foster parent, but if you're hesitant about it, there's other ways to support. Like, you could be a respite parent. Like, you know what respiting is? It's literally mm-hmm. opening your home for a weekend. Or even in cases of emergency, it's so flexible that you get to pick that. You know, you can be a foster parent or you can be a respite parent where like over the weekend, if you're free, there's a there's a foster mom who needs a break, you know, give her that break. There's a um, there's a if a child in the middle of the night is being taken away from their home, open your home and they just spend a night with you. It's, it, it doesn't have to be a six month because we know it can be intimidating. Like, let's just face it. It could be really intimidating, you know, and taking care of a child for a long duration of time. But respite parent is also a very like good alternative too as well as being a mentor yeah. you could be a mentor in foster care like literally i had a mentor i had uh, esther sherrard she was the bomb and i had melissa hish and um esther taught me about god and i became a christian a firm christian because of her yeah. my life was saved because of her and then you have melissa hish who like i was in a group home and once in a while she just drove me to work so that i didn't have to spend my hard-earned cash driving to work like you know taking a cab to get to work she was there to teach me and i was able to vent to her while i was in that car for just 15 minutes to talking to somebody who had nothing to do with department of family services who just understood me 
as me in all my frustrations and everything that I wasn't able to relate to a staff member, I was able to relate to her. You got 30 minutes of your time, offer that to Department of Family Services. There are so many different alternatives. It's not just being a foster parent. And, and that's why we offer our shirts too, because we believe that let's, let's just do everything at once if we can. And if you donate to us, donate it in the sense of buying a shirt. All your proceeds go back to foster children um, that we serve. And in that, you wear shirts that pr promotes conversations. Mm -hmm. It promotes people asking, what's that? Yeah. Or, you know, and, and that's when you can spread awareness, even if you aren't a foster parent. And going back to, because you mentioned it on Facebook, your drawings, how they comfort you. How did that uh, come about? I used to be bad when I was in foster care. <laughs> like, I used to be bad, like 72 hour room confinements, and I used to fight staffs. Like, it was, I, was, I was like an awful like, child. Um, but I just always got in trouble, and I think it was just that hurt inside of me. Like, one, I, was, I used to get picked on a lot because I was like super tiny and I was like the only Asian there. Yeah. And um, I used to get picked on a lot, and I rebelled in many other ways. So I used to get locked in my room. <laughs> and I sat there, and I just, I just doodled. I just doodled my heart out, and it came from little characters to something else. And, I, and that was my kind gesture to staff members. Like, I would, you know, a little child would, you know, like, Daddy, I'm sorry, and they draw a picture for you. Yeah. I used to draw the same things for staff members. I used to draw the same thing for my friends, like making birthday cards, because we didn't have, like, we couldn't go out and buy birthday cards, so we just made pieces of paper. I used to draw pictures that way, and I used to do it all the time, and it comforted me so much. Like, I wanted to be a tattoo artist at one point, because I wanted to, I just loved drawing. Um, and the other day, in the midst of working with uh, a lot of, most of the other day, it was a while ago, but in the midst of just figuring things out and what we wanted to do, I was stressed out of my mind, <laughs> so I just started doodling, and Marie's like, that would look really good on a shirt, and I'm like, that's really funny, I don't know if you're mocking me, but, <laughs> you know, but then he's like, no, was, no, seriously, and then he approached that idea to me again, he's like, I think you should put this on shirts, because it came from a time where it represented a lot of healing, a lot of, you know, just... What does what does a youth do when they're all by themselves, you know? And it's it's a way to speak to the public about what's going on. That was a good idea. Going back to uh, what you said, um, allowing a child to be a child, you know, when at that point in your life you're worried about everything else except just being what you are at that moment. Indeed. Enjoying uh, your youth and. Um, enjoying being in, in your imagination as much as you possibly can without having to worry about what you're going to eat where you're going to be somebody going to adopt me or if, if whereas who's going to take care of me in the future like am i going to be provided for and having somebody to step in and say yo i will take care of that for you just you be you and enjoy yourself and nowadays um, kids are becoming adults quicker than actual adults mm. and it shouldn't be that way it shouldn't be that way. But you're oh. no, you're, I was going to say you're absolutely correct. Um, and it's, I'm glad we're having this conversation because if you begin to think about, you know, the sentences that we're speaking and the words that we're speaking, children that are in the foster care system have an unfair amount of responsibilities and thoughts mm -hmm. that if you remember when you were the same age, let's say seven, eight, nine years old, ten years old, or a young teenager, whatever it may be, were you concerned about those same thoughts? Am I going to see mom and dad? Am I going to have a ride to practice? Am I going to uh, have good teachers? Am I going to have all, you know, food, stuff like that? You don't think about those things. Um, the average child growing up, 
the children in foster care have an unfair amount of responsibilities and requirements which de detract from their ability to live in the here and now and experience childhood properly, yeah. um, which creates that, that revolving cycle on why we say that children in foster care need a little bit more attention or they may not be as successful or whatever it may be after they leave care, it's because they were not able to actually live their childhood. They were not able to actually transition properly to young adulthood because of the lack of people giving them, them time. Um, so you're absolutely right. And speaking of having that mindset towards children who don't have homes, um, I can only imagine the joy and the process you all have Absolutely. Giving that to Eamon, your son. Absolutely. And um, it's one of the most, and I'm learned, I learned this from my mom. She, she tells us all the time, she said, wait. <laughs> and she would, you would catch her sitting there and she would smile, she'd do something. And I'm like, what? She's like, just wait till you have kids. Yeah. And um, to see that from that perspective as a parent, You're right. uh, you were speaking on that earlier, for your parent to see you where you are, it pleases them so much. Mm -hmm. um, but I can only imagine how it feels you all, how it makes you all feel, raising your son the way that you do. Absolutely. And allow him to actually be a boy. I mean, actually enjoy himself. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, they uh, posted a picture recently of him playing with the, I talked to you about it, about his train set. And having his own space for him to do whatever he wants to do. And I see that you all are building that within your, your own family foundation. Um, but how, how has that been doing all this as far as raising him and making sure that you pass your own um, ideas and your beliefs upon to him? Because eventually you know he's going to be his own person, but being in a process of building that for him. I think, um, I know Emery's is really going to want to talk about it. It was like his best friend. <laughs> um, for, for me, it's more so of... Um, yeah, I don't think it's our responsibility to teach Amen that, you know, there's going to be different people in the world. I don't think it's our necessarily our responsibility to say humble yourself because he's going to get humbled in life. Like, you know, yeah. as he gets old, he's going to get humbled and he's going to come across homeless people. He's going to cross all types of people. He's going to realize there's people that are not like me. But what happens when you start accepting? Like, what does acceptance look like? You know, and, and that's what Maurice and I want to deliver to our child. And, um, and Amen has such a good disposition. Like, he's so quiet compared to like how I was as a kid and how Maurice was as a kid and it's totally different so like God kind of like had a haha like joke at us because we're we thought about like we're gonna raise our son like really strict really firm you know we're gonna do all this but then it's like he comes to us and he's just like the sweetest quietest little kid and it's and it's 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 beautiful like I always tear up when I talk about because he's he's such a blessing to have and I didn't notice it until like yesterday we had a conversation with an incredible woman but in my perspective, I didn't realize that my son was going to be a child of a child who was in foster care. Yeah. You know, a child of a, you know. So it was interesting, but Eamon has actually taught me a lot in giving, in giving back to children. I didn't know how to be a mom. I didn't know how to be there, you know, for somebody, for a little kid and when I didn't have, like, a mother figure around. So he, he teaches me in his patient ways and his... Mommy, I need this, or Mommy, can you do this? And I think just having him watch us, he's a smart boy. He's a really, really smart boy, and I think just having him watch us, he's going to learn a lot. Yeah. And if he chooses to be a hip-hop artist or a doctor and something totally different, that's fine as long as you are helping somebody. You know? I know Maurice got a lot to say about this, too, though. <laughs>
uh, we, and it's intentional too, but we travel as a family to everywhere we go. We were sitting in a meeting last week, and <laughs> one of the one of the, the, the well, actually the guy, the man of the meeting in there, asked the question of where Eamon was, um, because it's so frequent that we do this. Eamon goes everywhere. He's here. He's here with us right now, um, and this is just the norm. And we want to present that image. We always want to maintain that because, um, like my wife said, it, it's it's foundational. It's concrete. It's mm-hmm. seeing strength. Um, it's seeing that relationships can uh, stay strong through so much trauma. It's seeing that uh, someone who's experienced trauma um, can raise a child up in the way that they should go. Um, those things we do intentionally, but we also, with having Eamon around, he's like a barometer for us, um, where he makes sure that we don't overwork, we don't lose ourselves in uh, in the attempt to fix everything that's going on, but we also understand that we have him, and he's an outlet, and he's a passionate joy that we express in our life. So he keeps us from doing things too much, um, but then again, he also, keeps us doing things just as much when we see him smile when we see when we lay him down when we when we wake him up in the morning we want everyone to experience that we want the child to experience that that's not our child but other children that aren't experiencing it they should receive the same thing um Eamon oftentimes when we're doing donation drives and all that Eamon has a very good sense of sharing now for such a young boy (laughs) we have a whole bunch we have a gift a donation closet in our home that's Filled, pegged out. I mean, I can show, give you a picture of it too. Um, but he is not overly. This is mine. No, he goes in and he'll pick certain things and he'll put them in bags for us to say, "Let's go donate." Yeah. Um, and something like that. That's a gift. That's not something that you just have. It's a gift, mm-hmm. and we want to. We want to continue that. So he's. I mean, having him around is. It's. It's good. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, the child that is screaming, that is not Amy. Yes. <laughs> no, uh, he's, he's been here the entire time, and I I personally would commend him um, for being well-behaved. Like, that's, that's very impressive. Thank you. Very, Thank very you. impressive. Because <laughs> um, this isn't the type of place you can just... He was just going, sit, like, waving yeah. his arms open, like, my book fell down. This <laughs> going to get my book. Strapped in a high chair. Can't really get it. I would get it, but sorry, guys. But for him to be that young and that aware, I, which means he's going to get older, he's going to yes. get smarter, and everything he does is going to be just like 20 times better. Thank you. And it's just, I, for a child to be, uh, have received that at, at the age that he's at, it's very important. Indeed. Um, yeah, go ahead. I, w- I was saying um, there's one experience that just, you know, like God, God just knows what He's doing. Like He just knows what He's doing when He makes like something that's so cute and little, but then they also surprise you in the most like a, like shocking ways. We, Amen, um, was in. Uh, it, I forgot where we were at, but he, you know, he was in speech therapy, and then there's a child that has special needs, mm-hmm. and she, she didn't, you know, look like everyone else, and all the other kids were kind of cringing and not talking to her, and I'm just, I'm like texting Maurice, letting him know that the appointment is over, and Ava just sits down and starts playing with her, while everyone else is not giving this kid a time of day, this young little girl, and I just looked at him, and I was like, that's not me, like, I, I didn't contribute to that. Neither did Maurice. That's Eamon. And, and, and it just, it's, it, you know, you just start looking at that and you wonder, like, in the midst of everything that we're trying to show him and he already has that, 
I'm so excited to see what he's gonna be as a mother, just looking at a young son and yeah. wonder like, what is he gonna be when he gets older? That's that's funny. Um, I'll say this before I let you go, guys go. Um, of course, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus walks and meets the woman at the well. Um, this woman is very promiscuous, has several husbands. This is not somebody you just walk up to, um, but he did. And the funny thing is he met her where she was at, not just physically at the well, but where she was at in life. Basically to say, despite whatever you're going through, you're worth my time. And to see that as a, as a child, because that's all you see, you just see somebody. You don't see any defects, you don't see any flaws. And that, that, that sense of innocence is, is very important. And um, I can honestly say that's one thing I did enjoy about my childhood. There was a lot of stuff going on. But fortunately, since I was the youngest, I didn't know what was, what was there. Uh, Mom just made it a point that I enjoyed myself as being the youngest. That I enjoyed my imagination, because that's very important. Um, and to see, and I love, and I love seeing um, sons interact with their parents, um, especially with the fathers. And I always commend fathers. Uh, the reason being is because that is a very important role. Because a mom can have, offer nourishment, she can offer advice, she can say, "Oh, you're," she can offer him all the compliments in the world because he's that's his mom. But as far as, far as what it takes to be a man. Um, to have that example because if he doesn't get it from you, he doesn't get it from us, he's going to get it from television, he's going to get it from the streets. And it's going to be a mixture of um, influences. And you're like, man, which one do I pick? But when you set the standard, he's going to know the difference between everything else he sees. And whenever a dad says, yo, um, I want to raise you to obviously do better than what I'm doing. So I'm going to give you all I have so that you can add to that as you get older and you can just create something completely different. So when a father takes the time to do that, that um, that always warms my heart whenever I think about it. It just, like that's, it's very strong, strong relationship, very important. And it's also important with the mom because at that point, he has a standard as what woman that I would like to be with because with for me, as far as my fiance Adrian, one beautiful thing about her was that I said, I want a woman that has a heart just as big as my mom's, if not bigger. I specifically asked for that. And I received it. And that scared, it's, it, it surprised me. But I, I realized that, you know, my mom's role in my life was very important. But the fact that, you know, unfortunately my dad wasn't there, in hindsight, it did have, it have its effects. But it, it just really pleases me to see that you have that relationship with them and that you're incorporating your company and your beliefs and your standards so that when he sees this he's going to remember it sure he's going to remember it um, but i'm going to ask you this one last question um if you can sum it up maybe in a sentence if you could what would you say is the glory in your story <laughs> i think the glory in our story is being able to seek God in the midst of it all like there's so much injustice that happened there was so much there was a lot that happened in my life that I didn't think I would ever ever have closure with and though in many situations I didn't my closure uh, like physical closure my closure right now is being able to to know that everything I went through didn't go in vain that yeah. I'm able to give back to the community that I'm able to 
to you know like it's just like what you mentioned earlier like I'm, I'm I will never ever be too good enough to where I won't be able to look at you and go that was me you know yeah. I, I went through that <laughs> because only then can you be able to get meet people where they are and make change get your education to look back and, and make things better mm-hmm. you know that's 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 what it's all about and the glory in our story is is meeting God in the midst of it all and having him as my cornerstone as my sounding board and, and just he never left me never even in times where it feels so empty he has never left yeah I agree with that I really do <laughs> um, yeah I do I don't really have to say much more so it's really it's really we, we've walked paths in life I've experienced some things my wife has experienced some things. My mother's experienced some things. The glory in our story—the glory in our story—is now recognizing that the, the, uh, not cultivation, but the, 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 all of the experiences put together, now are being glorified through what we're doing to make things better for other people. So the culmination, excuse me, of all these experiences in life, yeah. I think we are now fully doing a purpose-driven life and serving people that we're supposed to be serving. Living a life of service, I think, is what we're ultimately all born to do, just in our own ways. A lot of people think that you have to do certain things to actually contribute, but just being yourself and just being a light, being an example, that's it. That's all you need. And um, recognizing that you do have this platform because you can obviously use it for anything else but you decided to use it to give back so i really appreciate that absolutely um but thank you both for uh, your time i wanted to say one last thing for closing two things one thing is this you asked the question of why um, and i didn't comment on why should i care or why should you care again that question was asked last week and that question is becoming more and more prevalent as we continue this path Mm-hmm. Uh, my answer is becoming more and more refined because my answer was very general. Why not care, of course? Yeah. Um, but to refine that and to continue to refine that, I believe the answer to why you should care is because even if it doesn't happen to you, it's still important. Yeah. Just like cancer, just like hunger, just like our world and pollutants and things like that. Even if it didn't specifically happen to you, you never experienced foster care or adoption or anything, it's still important. Mm. And as, a, as our societal responsibilities, like I said earlier, are set, you should feel just that, that it's important. Yeah. And the last thing is, even Superman had foster parents. Yeah. To go back to superheroes. <laughs> oh, so. and I, I, and that's, what I, that's what I shared at, um, Love that. At the conference, man, because yeah. before Superman was Superman, he was Clark Kent. Correct. And that foundation had to be established. Established. And um, the uh, the movie uh, Superman from 1978 with Christopher Reeves. Yes. That that's like the best movie to me because Clark was getting upset that he couldn't do what he wanted to do, but his father was re- reminding him that not there's going to be a point where it's there's a time for everything. So that when that point when that time comes then you can do what you were created to be. They reminded him, you did come from somewhere, but we were blessed with you. And he, and even Clark is the way that he is because of uh, of Jonathan Kent. And um, I forgot his mom's name. Yeah, it just get my mind. Oh mind. man. Dang. <laughs> because Martha, Martha, Martha. Um, 
they they created Clark. They they instilled those values in him. And um, it's funny because I mentioned this little small geek moment. Um, there's a there's a book called The Red Sun, and it's about you've heard of it. Have you read it? I have not read it. Oh, I've man. Heard of it but it's basically about what if Superman landed in Russia opposed to America? What if he landed 12 hours later? So, like, you see his capsule go over America and it just lands in Russia and he becomes a, a weapon for the Soviet Union. And he's raised by a dictator. So, he's still Superman. Mm -hmm. It's just that he's he's an enemy of the America of America but you start feeling for him because it's Superman so he's very passionate about what he was created to do yeah and the superhero ends up being um, oh my goodness what's his name Lex Luthor so everybody looked to Lex Luthor and Lex Luthor ended up marrying Lois Lane oh, so man. that everybody's dependent on him to take care of Superman so it's it's funny how your surroundings where you are at a young age creates who you are Absolutely. but for somebody to take the time and embrace you and say hey I see that you're made for something more we'll just I, I would like to help guide you there in a safe way and you all are gaining awareness towards that and making people understand just how important it is um, for um, but again thank you for your time thank you. out of your of your life and out of your business schedule of course and, uh, awesome. I really appreciate it <laughs> I guess we'll uh, make sure you get the website and all that stuff and YouTube channel and all that yeah yes. um, but for those of you who listen this is episode 37 of the glory in our stories with Maurice and Whitney Gilliard